You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. So earlier this fall, uh, I started talking about the three R's. Do you remember what they were? Robes, ritual, and renunciation. Good job. I thought I'd come back to ritual a little bit. When we talked about ritual, I made a point of, of distinguishing between ritual and ceremony. Right? We often associate the two. But ritual is much broader. So ritual includes how you walk and how you sit and how you hold an object. That said, ceremony is also ritual. It's the ritual is not always ceremony. This ceremony that we did tonight, I, I translated as the private ceremony. Shitsunai Kankin literally means it's the ceremony that's done inside a room. We're in a room. But but what that refers to is that uh, traditionally when the morning ceremony would be finished and the morning ceremony would be closer to what we usually do on a Tuesday night. We chant something, we offer the merit, we chant some more, we offer the merit, we chant some more, we offer the merit. It can last between 15 minutes and, and an hour plus. Then when that's finished, the monks would go back to some sort of private quarters, or maybe there would be a few who share a small room and a few more who share another small room. And they would have a little, little altar set up just, just of their own that has a scroll called a, a ryutenjiku. Uh, and it's a, it's a scroll that your teacher writes out for you. They're all the same. And they, the idea is that, that this scroll kind of holds the lineage and the protection of the lineage and that you're going back to that protection. It's, it's very, there's something kind of very magical about this. And you, that's your altar and you bow in front of that scroll and then you do this ceremony, more or less exactly like this. So I'll, I'll explain some variations. And, and so it's intended to be very intimate in a way. Uh, not quite the usual thing. But it's also intended to be a kind of a return to the base. This is one variation on the most fundamentally Buddhist ceremony there is. When we chant and we offer merit, that obviously, I mean, now it has... Uh, you know, 1,500 years of history, so it's established. But it really has a lot to do with Chinese culture, things that, that uh, entered into Buddhism later, after it moved across borders. But originally, there was a service uh, where monks would come together after they had been apart. They would meet up and they would renew their vows they would do the repentance verse, 
they would take refuge. Uh, a teacher would repeat the precepts to them and they would receive those precepts again. They would do this once or twice a month. And then they would go back out into the world and they kept coming to, to do this. So at the, at the new moon and the full moon, they would gather and then they'd go out and they'd gather and they'd come out. This is a variation on that. And in fact, about half of the Buddhist ceremonies there are, are a variation on that. An ordination is a variation on that. A funeral is a variation on that. A wedding is a variation on that. We're always going back and doing the same thing. We're always renewing the vows. Now, the precept side of it, for everyone who, who attended the retreat, typically involves a, a teacher or, or someone reciting those. So that is more difficult to replicate in that private space. But the rest of it is not, and that's why this takes the form that it does. So I wanted to go through it a little bit because over the years, many people have said, well, what, you know, is there something I can do every day beyond sitting? And what I always say is, do this. Take it home and do this. Make this part of your routine. It, it can feel, if you're not used to it, if you've never done something like this on your own, in your living room or your bedroom, in the beginning, it can feel very strange. It can feel very strange to do prostrations. It can feel very strange to chant. It, it feels so forced. But like everything in this practice and outside of this practice, part of the beauty of it is spending some time with it until it doesn't feel so forced. There's a, an act of discovery in that. So I just wanted to walk through it a little bit. And all of this, by the way, is everything we've been talking about for months, right? It's, it's just all together. So we start with the repentance verse. We always start with the repentance verse. We always wipe ourselves clean. The repentance verse is the way that we enter into any encounter honestly. We own up to our lives. We say, yeah, this is me. This is me, and that's my responsibility. As a technical note, I've, I've uh, included the prostrations at the beginning, but what usually is done is that you just do three silent prostrations at the beginning and end. And then instead of, of bowing all the way down, this ceremony is done in what's called choki. So you do it like this. You do, it, you do the whole thing like this, and every time you bow, you just simply bow this way and come back. It's very efficient. It's very strong in a way. Uh, but as I get older, I find it harder and harder and harder to do anything in Choki. It hurts my back. So for purely selfish reasons, I've modified this so that you don't all have to take me to the hospital. <laughs> um, but I, I encourage it if that's how you want to do this at home. After that, we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And my understanding is that this is the original ceremony of the Buddhist world. That this used to be the entirety of the ordination ceremony was to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. 
You could just do the first part three times, right? The rest of it is, is kind of, kind of dresses it up a little bit. Then we go to the lineage. The, uh, the thing that we read here, it's a little bit funny. This is actually a chapter of Dogen's Shobogenzo. So this first part and the last part are from this text called Shobogenzo Busso, which means Buddha ancestors. And it's the, it's the shortest, I think maybe the shortest in the whole thing. Uh, it's just this paragraph, the sentence at the end, and the lineage in the middle. I've kept it all in Japanese because that's the way that I learned it. There are some places where they've, they actually, you know, they do Sanskrit names in Sanskrit and they do Chinese names in Chinese. You have to learn a lot of, about pronunciation to make that work. And here you can see Sanskrit names go all the way to Bodai Daruma Daiyosho, which is maybe seven or eight from the top on the right. And after that, the names change. They become a little bit shorter, a little bit punchier. Then we're in China because Bodai Daruma is Bodhidharma. He's the last of the Indian ancestors. Then we get to China and go on and on and on and on and on uh, until we get to Ehe Dogen, who is the beginning of the Japanese lineage. And we go to Keizan Jokin because after, and I've, I think I've said this a few times, after Keizan, the lineage splits. It stops being one teacher, one student. Kazan had a few students to whom he transmitted, and they had a few students to whom they transmitted. And so the lineage gets really interesting. But there's no one in the Soto Zen world who can't trace themselves back to Kazan. So this is our universal stopping point. And then if you have a teacher with whom you, you really identify as a student, you can continue the lineage all the way to that person's <coughs> name. So, so someone who, uh, who really takes up being my student, for example, would, would continue another uh, almost 40 names to my teacher's name, to Kuzan Koun Osho. I'm not Daiosho. Daiosho is pretty fancy. Daiosho in the modern age means that you're the abbot of a temple. Um, I'm just Osho is a preceptor. Daiosho is a big, <coughs> big preceptor. <laughs> Anytime you hear Dai, it just means large. So, and what I've done here also is, is in bold, I've marked where people typically bow. So if you memorize this, you can do it standing. You stand up and you prostrate every time. Not necessarily exactly there, but basically there, every few names. And what typically happens, and it shows a little bit of, of uh, elitism within the, the lineage, we tend to bow on the names that are the big names. You know, if we're really understanding lineage properly, that doesn't mean anything, right? If you can't skip a name, you can bow on any name. But when we get to you know, Shakyamuni, he gets a bow. <laughs> Nagarjuna gets a bow. Bodhidharma gets a bow. Uh, Manura Daiosho gets a bow because he's kind of m sort of in the middle between Nagarjuna and Bodhidharma. <laughs> uh, and then we, we end up at the end. And often what happens is that people get to Ehe Dogen Daiosho 
And from there, they just keep going. So they get all the way down. Like that. And that's how they end. We finish by finishing the text and then a dedication of merit, which I've written here as I, but when we're together, I say it as we. The invocation, and then we do the vows, which we do every night. Anyway, that's our, that's our end point. There's, for me, and I don't know how many times I've done this ceremony, there's something very powerful and again, something very honest about trying to give some form to the ideas of the practice. You know, we say that everyone is Buddha and that everyone is complete, but we don't just say it, we sit, right? We enact it. We sit as Buddha. That's the honest expression of that. It's not intellectual. It's, it's not just an idea we carry around. We give it a shape. And in the same way, if, if we take up these vows, if we take this up, we can, we can say, oh yeah, repentance, I, I, I'm, I'm on board with the idea of repentance. But that's different from saying it out loud. Standing up and saying every day, if you can, my whole life, I fully avow. With your mouth. <laughs> and then, just so that you feel it, so that it's not just you, you know, saying it while you brush your teeth, you drop everything and you bow to the ground. You punctuate it. Right? In case there's any question about, you know, whether, about your, your own importance in this process, <laughs> or your, uh, the, the, the singular wonder that is you, you chant the names of everyone going seven generations prior to the Buddha and all the way up to potentially yourself. So that at the end, you understand that you're receiving something. You're holding something. You're being entrusted with something, right? We talk about the fourfold Sangha. We talk about the idea that each quadrant within that fourfold Sangha is equally responsible for transmitting the Dharma. Right? That's not some magic thing. It, someone hands you a ball, and then you figure out how to hand someone else that ball. The ball doesn't just manifest. So we remind ourselves. And then the vows at the end, that's our pep talk, right? If this whole thing is, is a movie and, it's, and the coach is you know, building to some sort of crescendo, that's where you end. That's where everybody gets really pumped at the end and they run out on the, on the field and they know they're, they're okay. They're going to do their best. They can't lose, even if they lose. It's... You know, there, I've, I see sometimes little videos online of, of people doing affirmations in front of a mirror. Sometimes it's kids, it's really cute. This is as powerful as it gets. If you want to start your day with something, 
this is it. I, I defy you to find something with greater weight than those four vows. So what I wanted to do was encourage you to, to try it. Take this home. You can have it. There's no instrumentation to this. You don't need to learn anything with bells. You know, there's no fancy anything. It's bowing. You can decide how you want to do the bows. You know, you can decide what the space looks like. But what I wanted to, to recommend was, it, it, because most of us have some sort of a break coming up, that's a, that's a really good time to start a new habit. Just try it every day. It's 10 minutes. Sit and then do this. Or do this and then sit. There's a, a, a convention now in the Zen world that we always sit and then we chant. But it wasn't always that way. 600 years ago, it was switched. So you would do this kind of thing and, and you'd, you'd kind of fill yourself or empty yourself with that process and then you would sit. It's a really different experience. It's, you know, it's, it, I sometimes say, you know, sit like this and sit like this. Same thing. Try it. It's, uh, you might not feel quite as quiet when you sit, but you'll also, you'll have a different thing that you show up with. This homework isn't mandatory, but it's, it's recommended. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.